It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, welcome to part two of this particular series, looking at this idea that you are blessed. And in this particular episode, we're going to be looking at this idea of the blessings of the Father. Now, this comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 down through verse 6. Now, last time, if you, and if you didn't listen to this last episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it lays the foundation for this idea of the blessing. But let me just read you verse 3 just to kind of bring that back in our mind and give some context for where we're heading in this particular episode. So in Ephesians 1, 3, this is what Paul writes. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, we looked at this last time, but we mentioned the fact that God himself is blessed, that he is the source of his own blessing. But yet in the midst of his blessing, it's just like it forces him to do something. He just, he just, he just can't remain the same. So what does he do? Well, this blessed God speaks forth blessing in your life. And what is the blessing that he is giving you or pronouncing in your life? Well, Paul says it's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And yet it's interesting that that word blessing is singular in the Greek. In other words, Paul's not saying that God has many blessings for you, even though it's interesting because in verse 4 down to verse 14, he begins to give a list of blessings. And yet the emphasis of what Paul is saying is that every single blessing that God has for you is found in one single place, Christ Jesus. So we're going to be looking at the blessings of the Father in this particular episode, but I want you to remember that every single blessing that we're going to be talking about finds its fulfillment in the Son, in Jesus. So let's read verses 4 down to verse 6, just so that we can have some stuff to work with in this particular episode. So look at what Paul writes. He says in verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. Isn't that an interesting passage? Paul says there are these countless blessings that you have in God. That here is God. He just, he just can't help himself. He is declaring forth blessings in your life, all found and centered upon Jesus. Now, what I'd like to do in this particular episode is just kind of walk through these blessings that Paul pronounces of, these, of the blessings of the Father section. So let's look at the first one. It's this idea of being chosen. Again, Paul says, that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, it's interesting that that word in the Greek for chose, chose us in him, that the word for chose really has this connotation of God is choosing us for himself. In other words, this isn't just like a random choosing. This is he is specifically choosing you for the benefit of himself. And what's really interesting is this particular word in the Greek is in, is, in, is, in, is in the indicative, which means it's a simple statement of fact. In other words, this isn't up for a question. This isn't a realm of possibility. Like, well, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. 
Paul's just saying, hey, in Jesus, guess what's happened? God has chosen you for himself before the foundations of the world. Think about this reality that even before God spoke creation into existence, even before God said, let there be light, you were on his mind. Isn't that a crazy thought? That it's not like you came about and God goes, oh no, what am I going to do with you? Oh, see, your parents may have said you were an accident, but in the eyes of God, you are not an accident. That, that is so encouraging to me. And I, and I think of, of all the stuff that we're dealing with as a culture, uh, whether it's with the abortion stuff, whether it's with the gender identity or the crisis of you know the gender stuff. See, you cannot come to me biblically and say, well, God made a mistake. That is not true biblically. See, God has determined before the foundations of the world that, that he had you on his mind, that he's been waiting. Think about this. He's been waiting since the beginning of creation for this generation, for this century. Why? For you. That he's just been anxious for you to get on the scene. That he has been plotting and planning and preparing for you to come on the, on the scene. See, you have been chosen for himself for this generation. That's encouraging to me. Uh, I had a friend some years ago who came up and just said, Nathan, I, 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 just, I, have, the, I just have this feeling that, that God made me wrong. That, that here I am, I'm a guy, I feel like God, God was, I feel like he just made a mistake. I feel like I was supposed to be a girl. And I looked at him, I said, buddy, do you not realize, and I, and I quoted this passage. I says, think about this, from the very beginning, God has chosen you. As Jeremiah said, he, he knits you together in your mother's womb, that God does not make a mistake. So again, yes, your parents may have said, well, we weren't expecting you, whoops, mistake. But see, that, you can't say that through the lens of God. See, God doesn't make mistakes. So ponder this. Even before God spoke creation into existence, even before the world came into being, he had you on his mind. And he has purposely selected you. He has chosen you. He handpicked you for himself. Now, I, I don't know what word or concept you think of when you hear this word of chosen, but the first mental image I have is like elementary school dodgeball, <laughs> which is probably a bad imagery anyway. Uh, I, I don't know what your history was with elementary dodgeball, uh, but I never liked elementary dodgeball. Uh, one is painful. And if you're not athletic, it's really painful. <laughs> you know? uh, but typically with elementary school, this is how they pick teams. Dumbest idea ever in my mind. Uh, the teacher scans all the students and picks the two biggest, ugh, beefiest, buff kids. And so we have Team A and Team Captain B. And so here's here's A, you know, here's here's Sam. And he says, all right, well, you get to have the first pick. So he scans the crowd and he picks the next strongest, beefiest guy. And then here's, you know, Team Captain B, we'll call him David. And, and, and he's picking the next strongest, buffest guy in the group, right? And, and now they're going back and forth. And, and once they get through all the beef, you know, strong uh, guys, they now start working on the, all the athletic gals and, and, and all the girls that just ha, you know, are, have athletic ability and all this kind of stuff. And then by the time they get through all that, there's like 10 of us still standing next to the wall, just kind of waiting and anxious and pick me, pick me, pick me. And, and we're waiting. And eventually, you know, Sam looks and just goes, oh, I, I don't, I don't even want any of these guys. I guess I'll take you. And, 
And then David's like, oh, oh, I guess I'll take you. And and back and forth. And suddenly there's like three of us left. And we're like, pick me, pick me. And Sam looks and just goes, you know, why don't you just take them all? We'll do better without them. Now, I was chosen. But how was I chosen? See, it was the bottom of the barrel. Kind of had a, you know, didn't have a choice. But hey, I was chosen. See, that's not this idea. See, this idea, I wish I, wish I could just give this to you. I just oh, I wish you could grab a hold of this. This idea that God has chosen you for himself, this idea is like, it's like somehow, and I don't know how this works, but it's like somehow God lines us all up and he's scanning the entire crowd and goes, okay, I get one first pick. I get one first pick. Who am I going to pick? Who am I going to pick? You. And somehow, again, I don't know how this works. Somehow you are God's very first pick. Now, I think I can prove biblically that I am God's number one favorite. I, I'm, I'm almost positive I can prove that biblically. Now, I, I, I will have to admit <laughs> that if I was going to be truly honest, you're also God's number one favorite. But isn't it interesting that all of us, and again, I don't know how that would work, but somehow we were all God's number one first pick. That all of us in Christ Jesus were chosen before the foundation of the world. That again, even before he spoke creation in existence, God had you on his mind. That God has been just desirous for this generation to come about. Why? Because you were going to come on the scene. And that one of the blessings that you have is that in Jesus, you have been chosen. Isn't that an incredible idea? Oh, that is so good to me. And again, you are not a mistake. That this isn't like God has a plan for you. What, what's, your, what's God's plan for my life? Oh, uh... Uh, oh, uh, dig a hole, fill it in, dig a hole, fill it in, dig a hole. I don't know what to do with you yet, but dig a hole, fill it in. See, that, that's not God's plan for your life because he has been waiting. He has chosen you. That's incredible to me. Now, what is the purpose of this choosing? He goes on and he talks about this idea of being holy and blameless. Again, this idea in the past is, let me just read this. Just as he chose us in himself before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. What was the purpose of this choosing? Why did God choose you for himself? He chose you so that you would be holy and blameless. Now that word holy, it's interesting. It means this idea of separation or it's unlike something else. In other words, that it is, it is unlike everything else around it. It is set apart. It's it's consecrated. It's it's distinguished. It's made holy. Isn't it interesting in this in, in the Bible? God is so holy that we have to use triple holiness to even talk about him. God is not holy. He is holy, 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 which means he is really holy. He is set apart, set apart, set apart. He is unlike us, unlike us, unlike us. And yet that same God who is holy calls us to be like he is. And there's several passages in scripture, but let me just give you one of them. In Leviticus 11.44, listen to what the writer of Leviticus says. God is speaking and God says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves. So in other words, we are to live a life that is upright. We are to be pure, blameless, virtuous, that we are not to be just like the world around us, that there is something distinct and separate and different about our lives because we are in Christ Jesus. He has chosen us 
for himself so that we can share in his holiness. I, I love this quote. It's, it's a quote I found some years ago, but one commentator was talking about the difference that we have, or, or we as Christians are to have than the rest of the world. And he was looking at the early church and listen to what he writes. He says, in the early church, Christians never had any doubt that they must be different from the world. They, in fact, knew that they must be so different that the probability was that the world would kill them, and it certainly was that the world would hate them. But the tendency in the modern church has been to play down the difference between the church and the world. We have, in effect, often said to people, well, as long as you live a decent, respectable life, it is quite all right to become a church member and call yourself a Christian. You don't need to be so very different from other people. When, in fact, Christians, get this, should be easily identifiable in the world. Christ does not take us out of the world, but he does make us different within the world. Isn't that a great statement? We are in the world, but we are not of this world. Or I like the way it's said better. I'm in this world, but this world is not to be in me. That I am a sojourner. I, I am an alien on this planet. That, that this is not my home. I'm actually made for a better place. And yes, I am here, and hey, I'm going to live to the fullest. And yet, when people around me look at my life, they should easily identify me as, you're not one of us. You must be one of those Christians. Yes. Why? Because God is making me more like himself, which means I'm going to be different. I'm going to be set apart than the rest of the world. I am to be holy. Now, Paul says the other idea with this idea of just uh, of this choosing wasn't just for the holiness, but it said I would be blameless. That word blameless has this idea of without spot or blemish or this idea of faultless. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, <clears throat> God is talking about the, the sacrifices and that when you're going to make a sacrifice, you would go to the, to the flock and you look for the little lamb and you had to make sure that there was not a spot or a blemish upon that perfect lamb. In other words, if it had a spot or if it had a blemish, it would not be a perfect lamb. So you couldn't find one that had broken bones. You couldn't find that had, you know, the spots. You couldn't have any deformities. It needed to be a perfect, spotless, faultless sacrifice. And yet we are to be a living sacrifice, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us. Isn't it interesting that God has chosen you, even before he created the foundations of this world, he has chosen you for himself, to be like himself. You are to be holy and blameless. You are to be spotless. You are to be cleansed. You are to, be, to walk in purity and integrity. Now, if you're like most people, you'd be like, uh, I'm not fully there. I know. That's part of that sanctifying work as a believer, that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring about that holiness and that blamelessness that we are to be sanctified, consecrated, and made holy every single day. That, that we should come surrendered before the Lord, saying, Lord, search and try my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. Come and look at not just my actions, but look at my motives. Because I have found that I can do the right thing with the wrong motive, and it's still wrong. See, what would it look like if, if I would pursue holiness? What would it happen if if I would allow God to search my heart and say, Lord, make me blameless. And I know that I may not be absolutely perfect this side of heaven, but Lord, I'm going to walk in obedience. And I trust that your sanctifying work throughout my life is going to dig deeper and deeper and refine more and more and make me more and more holy 
so I am like you. That we are to be like our king. In fact, we are to bear his name. We are Christians, which means we should have the same character and the same nature, the same heart that our king has. Can I encourage you? Don't stop short. Press in. Allow God to sanctify your life. And yes, it is a lifelong process. But let us not use that as an excuse for why we can harbor and live in sin now. See, we are to repent. We are to live in holiness, integrity, purity, righteousness. And if you find those blemishes and those spots in your soul, in your life, in your attitude, in your thought process, repent. Turn to the Lord. Let him refine you. See, we as believers should be easily identifiable in this world because we are not to look like the world. We're not to talk like the world. We're not to think like the world because we are not of this world. We've been transformed and renewed in Christ Jesus. Mm, that's so powerful. Now, Paul goes on in this blessing section. Oh, let me give you this verse really quick. I love this. 1 Peter 1.19. And there's a whole bunch of verses similar, and I encourage you to write these down, and you can look them up later. But 1 Peter 1.19 says this. You were redeemed, get this, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That here is Jesus, our perfect lamb, our perfect sacrifice, and we have been redeemed by that perfect sacrifice. And what we find out is that because of that perfect sacrifice, he wants to do that same work within us. He wants to make us holy and without blemish. So if you want to look up some other verses, uh, look up Ephesians 5.27, Colossians 1.21-22, Hebrews 9.14, Jude 1.24, and Revelation 14.4-5. And again, there's, all, there's a lot more throughout Scripture, but that's a great place you can start if you want to dive this, take this idea even deeper, and this idea of being blemish, blameless and without spot uh, and made holy. Well, let's look at another one of these ideas of blessing. It's this idea of adoption. I wish we had time to actually dive into this, the Roman idea of adoption. And for the sake of kind of keeping these episodes a little more truncated and, and refined, I, I didn't want to bring this all up. But if you did a study on the Roman adoption process that Paul is referring to here, it is so profound as it re relates to our lives as Christians. And in other words, it's not that God just merely adopted us, right? We think of adoption in our modern day in the sense of like, well, yeah, here's this family who picks this kid and says, hey, come over here and, and live with us and you'll be our son or our, our daughter. In the Roman world, it had a much more depth of meaning than even just that. And I just kind of want to summarize all that by just kind of giving a phrase or just kind of a short little paragraph talking about this idea of the fact that you have been adopted. So listen to this. God has predetermined in love with a passionate zeal and desire to adopt you as his child in order to give you life and have relationship with you. He has gone through all the legal proceedings of the cross in order to free you from the penalty and the power of sin and to bring you in, not to wash floors and be a servant, but to be a son or a daughter. Your old family life no longer has any hold on you. Do you realize that our old family called sin and death has given up its rights, its authority because of the cross of Christ? And what God has done is he has not only freed you from the, from the captivity of sin, but he has paid that penalty. He's paid all the legal fees. He's dealt with the legality of your adoption so that not for you to be a servant, but for you to be a child of the king of the universe. Isn't that a great thought? 
that yes, in, in one sense, I am a servant and I will do whatever my Lord would desire. In fact, a thousand days, right? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God for one day than spend a thousand days in sin. And yet he's not calling me to merely be a doorkeeper or a servant. He wants me to be his child. And as a child, I have all the rights of an heir. I am an heir in Christ Jesus. Oh, what an amazing reality. Listen to this verse. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Look, all things have become new. See, you have been adopted. A line has been drawn in the sand, and who you once were, you no longer are. See, everything has radically been transformed. You have been metamorphosed into a brand new creature. You're no longer a caterpillar. You are a butterfly. You are a brand new creation, says Paul. Yes, you may look the same, you may smell the same, but you are not the same. Why? Because you are in Christ Jesus. So think about the blessings that we have, that what, what the Father has done in our life, that even before the foundations of the world, he has, like, oh, think about this, he has chosen you, not as a last pick on a dodgeball team. You were his very first pick, and you were chosen for himself to literally be like him. You were to be holy and blameless. You were to be different than the world. And God, in Christ Jesus, has gone through all the legalities, through the cross, to literally bring about your adoption. And now you get to be an heir with Jesus. Oh, what an amazing reality. You are blessed. Now, next week, we're going to dive into the next section, which is verse 7 through 12. And I would even encourage you over this next week, spend some time in Ephesians chapter 1. Read through this blessing section and even start to make some observations in verses 7 through 12 about these tremendous realities, these blessings, these benefits that you and I have in Christ Jesus. Regardless, remember that everything that you need for life and for godliness is found in one single place. It's Jesus Christ alone. So no, I'm praying for you. I'm cheering you on and have a great day in him. Our desire is to better connect this truth and this time that you received when you were out here and this awakening, this stirring, this deepening back home so that you feel strong when you go back home and you don't feel like you're abandoned, but you feel like you're a part, an extension of a body. And that's what the Alumni Network is. For us, it's been a delight being able to do this and being able to stay connected and see you guys and keep those relational fires burning. So I'd love you to be a part of this. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.